Hey guys, what's up? It's Chris. Uh, welcome back to On About Bar Podcast. Uh, yes, I have been away, but I am still alive. So um, I've been pretty busy doing some consultancy work uh, in Phuket, which is a lovely place this time of year. Um, so yeah, lots of uh, beaching, uh, cocktails, and setting up a really amazing restaurant and bar. But anyway, I'm back. I've got a whole selection of episodes lined up. I've been busy recording and uh, some pretty exciting news as well. Asia 50 Best Bars is coming to Bangkok next month uh, and I will be covering some of it. So I've been talks with them about uh, having a variety of guests or the international uh, community who will be flying over to Bangkok, um, hopefully all coming on the podcast. So if you're a listener and you're coming to Bangkok, give me a shout. Um, I'm going to have the studio open pretty much the whole week of that uh, event uh, and it'd be lovely to talk to you. But today's episode, we have Cameron George um, from Ardbeg. He is one of the brand ambassadors in the United States, and it's such a cool chat. I mean, um, he's such a knowledgeable and experienced brand ambassador. Uh, I love listening to him and uh, sort of his thoughts on the brand itself and, um, you know, how he engages with his community and the consumer base. So I think you're going to love this episode, too. Um, Definitely go check out his Instagram, which will be in the show notes. Um, You know, follow him as much as you can, because I think he's going to do great things. And I also love Ardbeg, so it was pretty cool to talk. Yeah, as always, guys, you can uh, follow me over in the Beverage Network Facebook group. And if you want to support the show, please head over to Patreon uh, to have a look at the sort of um, donations you can give there, which basically helps um, me pay for hosting, equipment costs, and just generally helps the show get better and better and better. Um, So yeah, thanks guys for listening and enjoy this episode. Benjamin Franklin once said, in wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the Back Bar. This is Christopher Menning. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to On The Bad Bar Podcast. Hope you're all keeping well and staying safe. Uh, today is going to be a pretty interesting chat, actually, because it's all about whiskey. And funny enough, one of my favorite whiskeys, uh, Ardbeg. And uh, it's a fantastic expression from the wonderful Isla. And uh, we have Cameron George here who is the current brand ambassador in the States. I believe a little bit of that area anyway, he'll tell you a bit more, but uh, it's great to have you here, man. And I can't wait to hear all about your sort of wonderful world of whiskey and, and what you get up to in it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Christopher. I'm very, very excited to uh, to bring all things Ardbeggy into the podcast. So cheers and slan to all of those uh, at home and wherever you are listening from. <laughs> Fantastic. No, I'm not even joking when I say it's one of my favorite whiskeys. So I've had on my bat bar before uh, the Ugadel and the Corrie Vrecken. I probably pronounced them both wrong, but um, such a great expression. And um, I think they've always done really well in terms of their branding. Um, you know, it must be quite cool to represent such an iconic brand. Can you tell me about your journey into that and how you started? 
Yeah, absolutely. First and foremost, I'll actually say that your pronunciation of, of both Ugadal and Corey Brecken were, were bang on, proper pronunciation right there. You, you win some great points there. You, <laughs> you would not believe how often I, I hear, you know, some of our, our marks or our, our skews or the whiskeys themselves um, pronounced in, uh, in unique and inventive ways. So, uh, no, you absolutely you nailed it. And then, you know, to that point as well, Two whiskeys that are very commonly seen on back bars throughout the world are going to be Ardbeg. Ori, uh, sorry, I'll take that again. Two whiskeys that are commonly seen throughout the world um, are going to be Ardbeg, Ugadal, and Cory Vrecken. I kind of feel like if you could split the Ardbegian universe down the middle in terms of uh, our committee members and which of the whiskeys from our core range they, they prefer, I would say like 51% of them would probably be on team Ugadal, the other 49% being on team Corey Vrecken, even though the 10 year is probably our most highly awarded and, and regarded whiskey. Um, Ugadal and Corey Vrecken have each won world whiskey of the year more recently than our big 10 year old. So for that reason, I think that the committee members around the world just absolutely love and adore those two drams. Um, but to your original question of how I got the, the role of Ardbeg's first ever national ambassador um, anywhere in the world. Um, you know, I am born and raised in Seattle, Washington, here in the United States, the, the upper left coast, the Pacific Northwest. I am no stranger to massive amounts of rainfall. I remember growing up, it'd be raining 180, 190 days out of the year, very similar to the, uh, to the, the microclimate that is on Isla as well, 190 plus days of rainfall. But weather, non, weather not being a, a huge talking point there, the way that I got this role was because I, much like you, um, coming from a bar background, had an immense love of single malt scotch whiskeys and unique high ester uh, spirits from around the world. So things like rum, mezcal, single malt scotch whiskeys, whiskeys coming from Ireland as well and around the world in general really just kind of um, captured my imagination. Uh, so I took a trip out to Isla and ultimately visited Ardbeg years before I actually started working on behalf of the brand. Um, it was actually Ardbeg and the brand of Hennessy, those two brands in particular that I wanted to tell those stories. Uh, so I took a job as a regional ambassador with the portfolio of, uh, of Moet Hennessy Spirits. So Glenn Morangy, Ardbeg, Hennessy, Moet Chandon, Vuv Ruinart, Belvedere, to name a few of them, right? Um, and yeah, I basically, you know, excelled in that role because I understood and I knew the history the lineage of, of, uh, of all of the brands, but the ones that communicated themselves the most to me would be Hennessy, but then more so even though than Hennessy, actually the brand of Ardbeg as well. So that's a little bit about how I, uh, how I entered Moet Hennessy's kind of portfolio of spirits. Uh, the way that I landed that job at Ardbeg though, um, it's an interesting and pretty funny story. You know, we made it through a few rounds of interviews. Basically, the last round of interviews, this is over the course of four or five months now. The last interview, they have us fly out to New York City, and I, I, I'm aware that it's me and maybe two other people who are now in the running for this job. Out of 10,000 potential applicants, it was insane. Um, so... Essentially, we, uh, you know, we were charged with having a full day at the Moet Hennessy office, uh, a round of interviews with all of the, the large stakeholders, and then also make 
four cocktails um, that represented each of the whiskeys then from the core range of Art Bank. Um, and so it was my, you know, my food pairing and cocktail development that ultimately ended up pushing me over the edge, as well as doing a really bang up job on one of the presentations. But I can tell you, Christopher, I almost lost the job because I was about an hour and 15 minutes late to the interview. I went to the wrong address. It was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, you yeah. got through it, so that's good. <laughs> through it somehow somehow some way definitely cried on the phone with my mom in the car you know i was in the, in this uber talking to my mom i'm like mom i've done all this hard work you know we're right here like i want this job so bad and i'm, I'm bawling in the car and she's just like hey you have to forget about the you know for forget about your your mistake early in the day and uh and just go be perfect the rest of the day and it ended up being as close to being perfect as i possibly could and uh, telling, you know, telling the brand team all of the ways that I see this brand, um, you know, and, and I've been in this role now for a little over three years and uh, I plan on going absolutely nowhere. <laughs> Fantastic, man. Well, there's, there's definitely a few questions I've got from that. Um, interestingly, um, I do agree that actually as a, as a luxury product portfolio, it's, it's pretty, pretty unique and I do love all the brands. Very much so with Hennessy, and um, not to show off too much, but I, I actually went to Hennessy and stayed at Chateau Bagnolet, met Jean-Michel mm. uh, Cochet, I think this is his name. So it was a fantastic mm -hmm. experience, and I got to see the parodies. And phenomenal. It's such a great brand. But um, but same with all the brands in the portfolio. Um, you know, I was just on a podcast recently about food and drink pairing and how bars should incorporate food into cocktail programs. And you mentioned about how actually food pairing is what got you over the line, really. So can you tell me more about that and what sort of food you, you paired the Ardbeg with? Yeah, absolutely. So the idea, the, the idea was essentially that they would give us an hour and a half um, to go over into Chelsea Market, because at the time, the U.S. headquarters uh, of Moet Hennessy was actually right across the street from Chelsea Market in New York City, a, a very famous market, actually... I believe the Food Network's headquarters is actually at the top of the market. Um, so they gave us about an hour and a half to come up with food pairing ideas to go into the market, execute our, our, our shopping, source whatever sorts of mise en place we needed from around the, around the office as well, um, and put together an experience for the brand team. Um, which, you know, was was incredible because it was an opportunity to present something that that I love dearly to the people who are the stakeholders and the shareholders and people that hit the, the go button here in the United States for the brand. So it was like presenting this brand immediately to the people that know it the best. Um, and now I very luckily have uh, have the privilege of, uh, of calling these people my coworkers and colleagues as well. Um, so essentially what I did is I came up with uh, three different cocktail, three different cocktails, each going to be represented by Ardbeg 10 years old. Um, I used tenure in each of the three cocktails, but I did four separate food pairings to Ardbeg Ugadol, Ardbeg Cory Vrecken, Ardbeg 10-year-old, and then also Ardbeg Anno at the same time as well. So um, for Ardbeg Ugadol, I remember there was a, um, 
It is almost like a, a Spanish Iberico kind of like cured meats, um, you know, little shop uh, that actually lives inside Chelsea Market. And so I had a, a couple of different styles of, of cured meats. I believe one one was like a prosciutto. And I do believe I, I, I did source an Iberico as well. Um, and then I remember for that one, I paired those those elements to a little bit of blackberry jam and fresh baguette as well. Um, for Ardbeg Cory Vrecken, because I love the ferocity, the black pepper, the capsaicin, the, the spicy elements of that whiskey. Um, I, I remember I did a uh, like a, a bacon jam that had a uh, like a jalapeno component to it, which was absolutely delicious. Ardbeg, 10 years old, ended up getting a food pairing of salt uh, of sardines, like uh, tinned fish. I'm a huge lover of tinned fish. You know, that's an easy very quick way, quick way to my heart as well. And then I actually opted to go with the tiramisu uh, for Ardbeg Anno uh, because the creamy elements, the weighty elements of that whiskey, there's a whole lot of conversations that we can have about not only the way that whiskeys smell or taste, but also how they feel when you're drinking them. And I thought that bringing to life uh, that whiskey was something that, that has a little bit more density and, and texture to it. Um, was a great call and it ended up being that the brand team loved it as well that's fantastic man and um, I really love how you sort of fought out the box a bit and you know there's so much traditionalism around you know whiskey and and chocolate pairing but I think we're beyond that now and, and looking at sort of like you said how the whiskey makes you feel as well is very important um so touching on cocktails so you know I love um Isla whiskeys because of their you know, the powerful nature behind them, the smoky taste, and whether it's sort of a spray in a glass or, or really a base of a cocktail, there are a lot of uh, ways you can use it. But what are your recommendations of best utilizing our bag in a cocktail? And what do you normally use it with? But no, that's an absolutely fantastic question uh, with a very complicated answer to it because the whiskeys are all incredibly complex. At Ardbeg, one of the things that I love most about the distillery is the offering of what we call the PD paradox, right? A juxtaposition of all of the things that, you know, start to, to manifest themselves in your prefrontal cortex when you think about heavily peated whiskey, smoke, savory elements, maybe some sort of salinity and medicinal characteristics as well. But at Ardbeg, the PD paradox is all the existence of all of those things and so much more. We don't necessarily think of smoke as one confined flavor. We actually see smoke as a family that has a a diverse subset or subcategories, right? So we think of smoke as having savory components, having some herbal components, having some medicinal, some coal and some woody elements. So those are the five overarching kind of flavor profiles that we look for um, in any of the whiskeys coming from Art Beck. So when I'm making cocktails, I'm generally pulling for Ardbeg 10-year-old, Ardbeg Anno, or Ardbeg Wee Beastie. Those three whiskeys are what we lovingly call the monsters of smoke um, due to their price points, as well as the, the genetic compositions of these whiskeys. They lend themselves very well to a wide array of cocktail categories. Ardbeg 10-year-old um, showcasing the most like lemon and lime kind of sherbet and zesty elements. That whiskey I very often reach for when I'm thinking of things like sours or even like daiquiris as well. Ardbeg 10-year-old goes incredibly well with lime juice. So anything that exists in that way um, and in that realm is going to be Ardbeg 10-year-old's best friend. 
when you're walking around on Isla, particularly Port Ellen, which is the largest township on Isla, a really good day will actually smell like strawberries, like strawberry yogurt. And that's due in part to the malting facility that uh, actually calls Port Ellen home. So there's a great kind of olfactory cue right there that you can start to, to play off of. A whiskey like Ardbeg Wee Beastie doesn't necessarily tell the story of, or doesn't aim to tell the story of the distillery's inherent DNA and thumbprint. With that whiskey, we're actually trying to communicate the, the sense of place that is the peat bog, Castle Hill, where we actually source the peat from, for the production of all of the whiskeys from Ardbeg, right? But with that one whiskey in particular, it has a link that is more closely attributed to the peat bog as well as the maltings than any of the other whiskeys coming from Ardbeg Distillery. So when we think about, well, on Isla, on, in Port Ellen, a really great day smelling like strawberry yogurt, there's an element of that that is kind of um, imposed onto the whiskey itself of Ardbeg Wee Beastie. So Wee Beastie has this fruity kind of almost little bit of a funky element to me that pairs very well. And again, citrus cocktails or even brown bitter stirred riffs on your classic Rob Roy, um, you know, any sort, any sort of like old fashioned style cocktail as well is going to be a hit with Wee Beastie. And then lastly, Ardbeg Anno, because of the way that whiskey is put together, having so many moving parts, first, second, third fill ex-bourbon, that has a little bit of whiskey that's been whole, wholly matured in Pedro Jimenez sherry cast. It also has some whiskey that's been wholly matured in virgin American oak. When we talk about the way that a whiskey feels and the way that a whiskey has texture, I love NO for cocktails that, that, that speak and communicate weight. So things like eggnog, oh, I made a delicious eggnog, or even switching it up and using it in dashes or smaller amounts in a classic Puerto Rican like Coquito cocktail as well. There are a lot of really interesting um, utilizations for various art bags. It all sounds really tasty. And yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, experimenting more with some of these labels. Um, my next question kind of goes more towards, I guess, um, maybe not educating the consumer, but sort of engaging the consumer. Um, now, I'm, I'm based in Bangkok, as you know, and uh, so the Thai uh, community and the Thai consumer are really geared towards sweet flavors. So I think there is still a need to uh, introduce powerful Isla whiskeys to, to um, the community here. But how would you suggest to go about that? And I'm sure this is a big part of your job in, in the part of the world you're in. But um, you know, what would you do to maybe um, to bar managers around the world who want to introduce more of these whiskies, these examples of Isla, to their bat bar and engage with the consumer. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is basically wholly my entire job. You're, you're 100% correct in that. Um, you know, I, I feel like over the last two years, what we've seen is the consumer's level of education has absolutely skyrocketed. We've gone from, you know, widely kind of paint brushing the term smooth onto anything that, you know, had graced oak with its presence to now being able to, to, to discern and identify specific flavors and, and approach tasting with rationale. That's something that's happening at at people's houses or over Zoom. It's happening at dinner parties, you know, with, with, with small groups of friends. So the, the level of education that the end consumer now has is 
is absolutely massive. And I think it's trending in, in, uh, in an even more intriguing direction. I think that the consumers are going to continue to be more discerning um, and be able to identify key elements of things that they like and dislike about particular whiskeys. Uh, yeah, so when I'm positioning Ardbeg for a seat at the table in any sort of tasting, whether it's a competitive set tasting with some of our other friends based on Isla, or even if it's just whiskeys coming only from Ardbeg, and I'm trying to communicate a, a difference in between each of these individual whiskeys, whether that's with a bar manager, a bar manager, or if it's with a whiskey tasting group over Zoom, um, one of the things that I'm first and foremost going to point out is that everybody palette is unique. Um, there is an interesting connection between our olfactory system and our memory. They, in terms of the human body, share a link um, that is more closely aligned than any other two systems or networks in the human body. So essentially, when we're tasting, we're not necessarily, you know, tasting new flavors. We're actually reliving um, uh, organoleptic experiences that we've lived in the past, right? We're experiencing what we call like olfactory hallucinations. Anytime you dive into a glass of whiskey, you actually should be reminded of flavors that you've seen recurring throughout your entire life. So for that reason, everybody's palate is going to be their own individual DNA and kind of thumbprint uh, imposed on, onto it. So first and foremost, understanding your own palate and how these whiskeys can behave on them um, is, is incredibly key. Next, you brought up an incredibly important point as well about regionality and, and um, cultural drinking trends, right? So, you know, for whiskey drinkers who, who may want something that may lend itself a little bit more sweetness, then, you know, focusing in on whiskeys that have only been aged in ex-bourbon casts may not be the exact right call because they won't develop enough, enough a, of a supporting sweetness to give that whiskey kind of like a, a textural backbone that somebody who is looking for that element may find attractive. We may want to look towards whiskeys that have a component that's been wholly aged in, let's say, Pedro Jimenez or some other sort of sherry cast that'll give a whiskey a little bit of added sweetness and like a roundness or a richness to it. If you're speaking to somebody who wants a whiskey that maybe is a little bit drier, um, maybe communicates a little bit more of, a, a, of the, the pop of the freshness of, a, of phenols or of smoke, as we kind of call it. Well, then I'd say that maybe you are looking towards Ardbeg Tenure, which does only use ex-bourbon cast. Or maybe you're somebody that wants a whiskey that may, may drink um, with a little bit more spice and heat to it. Well, that sounds to me like you may want to, to look in the area of whiskeys that may be cast strength. So in that regard, we have one whiskey from the core range, which is cast strength. And you know it well, Christopher. You pronounced it correctly, Ardbeg Korivrekin, right? So those are the things that I start to ask myself uh, when I'm when I'm uh, tasting through whiskeys, whether they be our own whiskeys um, or whether they be competitive set whiskeys with buyers or, or whiskey tasting groups. Again, I'm just trying to digest all that. Um, I loved it. That's, that's that's such a great way of um, analyzing it as well. So olfactory memory is that correct? You said olfactory. Yeah. 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 Our, our olfactory like. Our olfactory epithelium—it's a—it's a, the bulb that is in charge of uh, of communicating essentially what we are what we are tasting is actually 
essentially the back end of a circuit of what we're actually smelling, right? We taste, there's, um, there's something called like retronasal olfaction, which is where if you're sipping a whiskey, you want to end up um, you want to end up diving your nose into that into that glass and leave your mouth open a little bit because you'll actually be able to register some of the tastes on your papilla actually via your olfactory bulb in, in like basically that sits right before your sinuses. Um, so those two things are, are linked and then share a really beautiful connection with our memory as well. So, yes, when we dive into those glasses of whiskey, we are re-experiencing olfactory hallucinations. I love that. And um, I'm really going to delve more into that. I would love to see a study around the world um, of different countries and cultures and sort of build up a picture of, of whether all these memories are sort of really different. Um, you, know, you know what I mean? I think it'd be just interesting to see what parts of the world um, recall. You're a thousand percent right, you know, and that, that's kind of what I was hinting at as well when I mentioned, you know, growing up here in Seattle um, is very akin to the microclimate that you see on Isla as well. Lots of rainfall, never really incredibly blisteringly hot, never really incredibly freezing cold either. But one of the things to me that, that communicates itself because of where I was raised um, in, in a whiskey is going to be essentially the, the chemical compound like petrichor, right? So for me, I remember spending summers outside, warm summers, uh, you know, you, you have this warm asphalt that then in Seattle, because ultimately it's going to rain at some point every day during in Seattle, you're going to have this wet rainfall that's interacting with this warm cement and that releases this compound called petrichor. So I remember running around outside playing jump rope, um, you know, playing basketball outside in the rain while it was all still fairly warm outside as well. So that's a compound that, that to me is very pronounced in a lot of the whiskeys coming from Ardbeg, but more importantly, a lot of the whiskeys coming from Isla. I think that's why I've taken such a, a shine to Isla whiskeys um, ever since I was quite a young bartender. Fantastic, man. Well, I mean, um, we'll, we'll move on to the next question. And um, I just want to say to the audience as well, uh, Cameron's an amazing person because he's actually calling me a really early time in the morning. And it kind of links into uh, my next question is that you probably have to travel quite a lot for your job, right? And uh, I imagine you're always on the road. Um, but I think that'd be quite interesting to hear about your experiences of Ardbeg around the country or the nation and maybe some of the, the top places you've seen it being expressed well. Mm, yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, that is kind of the life of the ambassador. Absolutely. Um, you have to be ready for whatever, whenever. Um, life in 2020 was interesting. You know, the world kind of came to a halt. Um, we had to figure out how I would do my job remotely, um, how I would bring uh, the whiskeys of Ardbeg through my lens and through my through my computer into other people's homes and how I would elevate the brand experience while not necessarily being able to be there physically. Um, now, in towards the end of 2021, things are a bit different. It's become a little bit of a hybrid of both. Actually, I think this trip is actually a perfect example of that. I'm coming off of a trip to Las Vegas now here in Atlanta for a couple of days of recording some some content with uh, with one of our, our brand advocates, the one and only DJ Barbecue. Um, look him up on social media. He's hilarious and wonderful. 
Um, but then I'm also, you know, having a wonderful conversation and chat with you here at 2.30 in the morning. And then I have a meeting with our team in Edinburgh starting at four o'clock. Um, so it's, it's interesting how now we've been able to, to take virtual activations and events, add those to my in-person regular calendar of events, but then also schedule unique in, uh, engagement opportunities such as this, kind of salt and pepper them in. Uh, where we can fit them in uh, uh, into the uh, uh, into the calendar as well. Mm. Yeah, it has mm. changed a lot, and um, you know, you're completely right about consumer education has grown exponentially. And I guess it's from all this time at home, sitting around just learning about stuff. And I think brands have had to change a lot um, to be more mm. virtual, more digital, um, and create content that way. And um, I'm sure you guys are doing quite a lot, but. Maybe for other brands, um, what do you what do you see as being the key points of success over this transition to digital? Um, what do you think brands should do more to engage with people digitally? Yeah, you know, I guess the the easiest way for me to answer that question is is through the lens of Art Bag. Um, and one of the things I love about about the way that we've tackled this task. Of, of going virtual and trying to go viral as, as the kids are saying or whatever um, is, is essentially by, by still communicating the brand's DNA and core values. Um, we can't ever let those things uh, become lost on us or lost on the, the folks who, who love the brand. Um, we are the beneficiaries of having some of the most galvanized and passionate uh, whiskey enthusiasts in the world. Um, Ardbeg has what's called the Ardbeg Committee. It's a group of 150,000 fans and loyalists of the brands um, who have been following us uh, both in their own bars, um, who have been stocking the whiskeys at, you know, at their own homes, but then also have been part of this virtual community that was started in 2000. So we've actually been working in this space for, for quite a long time. Um, in 2020, we ended up taking Ardbeg Day, which is the, the virtual celebration or was the in-person celebration of the brand that happens essentially every June 5th. Um, and we ended up taking that virtual. virtual. And we did the same in 2021. And it looks like in 2022, it'll actually be a little bit of a hybrid of both things where we'll do some virtual activation for, for Ardbeg Day, but then we'll also do some in-person activation at the same time. I myself will actually be um, uh, working with the team from Scotland. I'll actually be over on Isla again uh, for the Feshil, which is the festival of Isla, which Ardbeg Day is the very last day of that festival. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. I've never been actually to Isla, but I've always wanted to go. That'd be uh, such a great experience. Yeah, it is probably, you know, one of the, the high points of my of my job is that uh, under normal non-pandemic years, um, I usually get, get out to Isla usually about two or three times um, a year. And I love getting to, to go out to the distillery. There's uh, there is just something special about that place. It's an island that has only 3,000 people, a little over 3,100 people, about, about, yeah, about 3,200 people now living on the island. Um, 
but you can feel this just reverberation of just it, it's like a place that makes your hair stand up on your arms because you can feel how incredibly important that place is. The sense of connection between the people that live there, um, the history of the island uh, and everything that goes on now is it's just an immense and, and very beautiful place. Mm. So, I mean, maybe for uh, some of the audience who are listening who maybe haven't really ventured into this world yet, um, it might be good to actually hear about the brand values, as you mentioned before, because I'm, that's always the best way to resonate with people. Um, can you tell us more about Ardbeg's uh, core values to start? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So first and foremost, uh, Ardbeg refers to itself as the ultimate Isla single malt scotch whiskey because it truly is. Um, being named World Whiskey Distillery of the Year four times since we relaunched the brand in 1997 means that Ardbeg is actually the most highly awarded whiskey distillery on the planet um, through the international whiskey competition. So when I think about, you know, the, the Ardbegian core values and, 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 and brand DNA, first and foremost is representation of the small island from which we're born. Um, as I mentioned, not too many people living on this island. When you're walking around in Bangkok and you look up at, at the top of a skyscraper, there are probably more people in that building than live on the entire island of Isla. Um, it is, you know, it, an interesting place to get to. Uh, only two ways on and off of the island, the ferry and then also a small twin prop pallet prop plane uh, that, that flies out twice a day from Glasgow. Um, you know, Ardbeg's core values, I would say, would be non-chill filtered whiskeys. First and foremost, we don't ever proof our whiskeys down below 46%. Um, there is an importance to the way that a whiskey feels before it is chill filtered. And especially with heavily peated whiskeys, that is the other kind of core value and fence post that, that we very much so have, uh, have hammered into the ground when we think about uh, the brand of Ardbeg non-chill filtered as well as heavily peated. At Ardbeg, we may aim to make the most heavily peated whiskeys in regular production, being peated to a level of 55 parts per million in terms of its phenolic content um, and beyond, right? We've had expressions like supernova, which are a bit over a hundred parts per million. There may be something coming in the future that goes even higher than that in terms of the amount of phenols you probably can't see me, but I'm winking right now as I say that. It's <laughs> our first little teaser I promised you there as well, Christopher. Um, but then last, lastly, uh, we also don't add any caramel colorings to our whiskeys at Ardbeg. Um, you know, uh, I don't believe that chill filtration or E150A, um, which is the legal caramel coloring in single malt scotch whiskey, I don't necessarily believe that either of those two things are inherently the devil, but they have been uh, employed in some nefarious ways uh, in the scotch whiskey industry and, and historically. So those are just two things that we choose to omit from Ardbeg's, uh, Ardbeg's process. Um, the other kind of values of the distillery would be leaning on our water source, Loch Ugadal, which quite literally means dark, mysterious place. That water source is very important to the, to the brand in terms of not only the flavor profile that's developed, but then also the consistency with which we can operate the distillery. Loch Ugadal is, is a quite deep and a very cold water source as well. 
which means that Ardbeg rarely ever runs out of water during the dry months. And yes, there are dry months on Isla in which a lot of distilleries have to stop operations because they simply run out of water. Um, at Ardbeg, we're not necessarily faced with that problem there. Yeah. But yeah, those would be the main kind of brand uh, talking points um, and some of the things that, that we really try to communicate in each of the bottlings. At Ardbeg, we're not necessarily only liquid storytellers. We tell a story with the entirety of the brand. So when you look at one of the bottles of Ardbeg, you can actually learn a whole heck of a lot and also see a bunch of secrets that are actually embedded uh, into in individual bottlings as well. We do that cheekily from time to time. Fantastic, man. And maybe for um, a lot of people who will now probably go buy a bowl, hopefully, um, I suggest you do if you haven't tried it, but it's probably going to be the 10 year that most people try first. So can you tell us more about the 10 year, uh, maybe your favorite ways to drink it and maybe how it can be best implemented into a bar program? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the 10 year, you're a hundred percent right. The 10 year is still the flagship of the Ardbeg core range. Um, and it always will be. And for me, that is actually the whiskey that is my favorite whiskey from Ardbeg because it communicates the sense of place that is the distillery in a pristine, just beautiful visage. Um, I absolutely love that whiskey in particularly because we couldn't make any of the other whiskeys in Ardbeg's core range without that one coming first. And what I mean by that isn't necessarily that Ardbeg tenure, you know, comes out of its ex-bourbon cast and then, you know, becomes Ardbeg Anno. And then at a certain point, it becomes Wee Beastie. No, that's, that's not how we operate at Ardbeg. That's actually more uh, akin to what our friends and our siblings over at Glen Morangy do in the technique of finishing a whiskey, taking it out of ex-bourbon and putting it into a secondary cask for further maturation. That's not Ardbeg's approach. Um, at Ardbeg, we work in whole components that are aged separately and then are brought together. So when I say that we couldn't make any other whiskeys unless we made whiskey in the style of Ardbeg tenure first, what I mean by that is that Ardbeg tenure features whiskeys that have been wholly matured in ex-bourbon casks solely. No other sherry, no sort of port casks, no sort of virgin oak casks. No weirdness with the cast, no play going on there. It is simply first, second, and third fill ex-bourbon barrels that are then brought together, and that's how Ardbeg is born. Ardbeg tenure is born, bottled at 46%. Now, when we look at the other whiskeys in the core range, they each contain a lion's share of whiskey in the style of Ardbeg 10 years old, meaning ex-bourbon cast, first, second, and third fill. Right. And we just end up marrying that to a style of whiskey that was aged in, let's say, Oloroso sherry casks for Ugadol or for Cory of Reckon. It'll be marrying first, second and third fill ex-bourbon to virgin European oak, primarily virgin limousine French oak. And for something like Ardbeg Anno, first, second and third fill makes up that Ardbegian heartbeat. That's where you kind of see the distillery's DNA and thumbprint. Um, it's what allows you to know that. Even if you're doing it blind, you know that you're drinking an Ardbeg. It's because of the use of that first, second, and third fill. And then with Anno, we'll add a little bit of Pedro Jimenez sherry casks 
wholly matured, as well as some whiskey that was wholly matured in a little bit of virgin American oak cast as well. So that is why Ardbeg Tenure is the most important whiskey to the core range, because it clearly identifies and establishes the distillery's kind of um, DNA and the thread of commonality that can kind of be pulled at through all five of the whiskeys that are in the core range. The best utilizations for Ardbeg Tenure at your bar are everything. Uh, It is one of the most diverse spirits in the world. Uh, I think that, you know, bartenders have a massive fondness of high ester spirits, um, things like like, uh, mezcals things like Jamaican rums as well. Um, you know, those are, those are spirits that have just absolutely massively taken off over the last decade and a half of, of the bar industry. Um, and I think it's time that spirits like Ardbeg, heavily peated single malt whiskeys also come into the conversation there as well. So use it in everything from your Mai Tai to your Miami Vice, to your old fashioned, to your boiler maker. Um, there are so many different utilizations for Ardbeg. Brilliant. Well, a few more questions before we wrap up and let you go, because I know you've got a busy day ahead uh, or a busy morning ahead. But um, I'd like to ask, because talking to you, it's, you're obviously very passionate, um, very knowledgeable, but it's very genuine too. And um, I can see you're a fantastic brand ambassador for a great brand. But um, there are still a lot of bartenders who really see this as the goal or the next step in their career. And I'd like to ask you, uh, what is sort of your your tips or advice for those who want to break into that role? Um, You know, we all know it's a very hard lifestyle uh, and it is a lifestyle. Um, but, you know, is there anything, any core um, sort of personality traits or any core, you know, something you feel that is really important to, to build yourself into a brand ambassador? Ah, absolutely. That's a fantastic question. I, I have to say that is definitely one of the best ways that I've ever had this particular question asked of me as well. Um, you know, it, it is interesting because to your point, it is absolutely a lifestyle. There is a, an element of preparation for this that uh, that you can't that, that you can't really train for. Um, it's something that hit me like a ton of bricks in my first year when I realized just how often I would be away from home, just how often I would be away from sitting around, you know, with my with my own friends from walking my dog, um, you know, and so you, you can't really prepare yourself for the lifestyle of, of being an ambassador. It's something that once you get into it and once you establish your own cadence, there becomes an equilibrium, um, but it definitely takes a little while to learn how to balance it. I'm going on year four now, and it's still something that I have to train myself at um, weekly, monthly, yearly to remind myself that if I don't have gas in the tank for me, then I can't bring this brand to all of the people who deserve to have the brand story brought, brought to them in the most uh, charismatic and charming and electrifying way possible. Um, and it does a disservice to not only myself, but also to the brand that I represent as well. Um, but yeah, you know, for bartenders who are looking to make the next step as well, um, you know, I think a prerequisite to this is uh, having a thirst and almost an unquenchable uh, thirst for for knowledge and for education. Um, 
you know, that was something that I noticed quite early on is I just absolutely loved learning about the, the labels on the back bar, the categories that they belong to, why each of them were special and, and individual in their own right as well. And then what I noticed is that I was no longer only utilizing in uh, that that knowledge for you know my own monetary gain uh, on on my shifts, but I was actually now a leader of bar programs, and so I was disseminating and passing out that knowledge to my bar teams. Um, and so I wasn't I wasn't really behind the bar a whole lot anymore because I was managing um, a, a couple of fairly high volume cocktail bars in Seattle as well. So, you know, it, for me, it was a natural step because I loved educating people and I loved teaching. Uh, and that has to be part of your core DNA and genetic makeup as well, um, is because there is nothing worse than a selfish ambassador. Um, you want, uh, you know, the things that, that make you passionate about a brand. You want those things to be communicated to, uh, to bartenders, to, to trade. You want them to be communicated to consumers because it's, it's, it's galvanizing. It'll impassion somebody to fall as in love with the brand as you are, right? Um, and that's something that's incredibly important to me and definitely something that, that bartenders who aspire to move into these roles should start to develop and work on. Fantastic advice. Um, yeah, really great points there. And I think actionable as well. So one last question to finish up. And thank you once again so much for your time. Um, I normally sometimes ask about uh, guests, their favorite bar around the world. But because you're sort of Mr. Whiskey, I'd actually like to ask what's your favorite whiskey bar around the world? Ooh, oh, th- all right. This is, we're setting up for a fight here, right? Because there are so many, there are so many great whiskey bars. Um, but I, you know, I have to tip my hat, um, to my good friend, Mr. Mike Miller and his one and only bar Delilah's of Chicago. Um, Delilah's in Chicago is, is a, a whiskey bar that is also pure mayhem in all of the best ways. Um, it's like a, it's a punk rock whiskey bar. Um, you know, it's uh, oftentimes you'll, you'll find me there on a, on like a Wednesday evening, listening to the misfits and, and drinking some you know, like rare dead vintage art bag, uh, or other Isla single malt scotch whiskey. The collection is just absolutely insane. The staff, um, the staff are just some of the most knowledgeable whiskey bar te- bar bartenders in the world. Um, but not pretentious about it. Again, they're very gracious with their knowledge. Uh, and Mike has a, uh, has a flair for making his personality come through uh, every single inch of that bar. So I'm absolutely a massive fan of that place as well. Um, I also love Angel Share. I'm going to give you a few of them because I don't want to start World War Whiskey. <laughs> sure. Well, I'll, um, I'll also take Angel Share as well in New York City uh, as one of my favorite whiskey slash cocktail bars. Um, they just do a beautiful job uh, making and creating classic style cocktails, um, utilizing a lot of single malt scotch whiskeys, and they're massive fans of Ardbeg. The things that I've seen them do with this brand have just been 
just absolutely beautiful and incredible. Uh, and then last but not least, I'll actually go ahead and throw a, a nod back to my friends up in Seattle. Uh, you know, people I was, I was raised with and people that I, I worked in the trenches with side by side. Um, the owner of the one and only Canon, Mr. Jamie Boudreaux, has created what I believe is one of the world's best whiskey bars. The whiskey collection is is mental, absolutely insane. Um, the the Ardbeg and Glen Morangy collections are wonderful. They're huge fans of the Boutique Whiskey Company. They're massive Lafroig fans as well. So they've just got an immense, immense catalog of whiskeys. Uh, but then also the the cocktails that they produce there are some of the most avant-garde and uh, and, and truly cutting edge. Uh, cocktails. They very rarely are following trends. They are definitely trendsetters for sure. So those are my three. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to research all three of those right now. Cameron, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Um, Really um, good luck for the future with everything you do. And uh, I think you're going to be inspiring a lot of people to grab a bottle of Ardbeg whiskey now. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It was wonderful getting to chat with you. Thank you so much for listening to the show, guys. Uh, we are available on Spotify, iTunes, and all other major podcast providers. Your support helps my show grow, and I love you for listening. So thank you so much. If you want to be a part of it even more, please look at the show notes. You can find links to our Facebook group, The Beverage Network. You can also find links to my Patreon page where you can help the show grow even further with small donations. And you can also find my email where you can reach me anytime with any questions. You guys are amazing. I love this industry. Let's keep it growing. Thank you for listening to On The Bad Bar.